and the burial of Jesus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Who's old enough to, old enough to remember Jack and Ori? Only half the congregation. There we are. <laughs> uh, Jack and Ori was a, sto- uh, a television program on children's time on BBC where uh, somebody would sit and read you a story. Uh, uh, um, and so I'm going to start with a story. We're going we're gonna to carry on this series on dethroning mammon, looking at Justin Welby's book. Um, and uh, this... this uh, Sunday, we are looking at what we give, we gain. What we give, we gain. And Justin starts with uh, a quote from uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Uh, Christmas Carol is, uh, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the Muppets Christmas Carol. Uh, Christmas Carol is the sort of famous Dickens uh, uh, novel about uh, this miserly uh, um, uh, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, who doesn't give any of his money away and hoards it away. And he's visited on Christmas Eve by three spirits, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, which show him where his life is ending if he continues in this way. Uh, and this is what happens when he wakes up on Christmas morning. It's Christmas Day, said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do everything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow, he calls out the window. Hello, returned the boy. Do you know the poulterers in the nearest street but one at the corner, Scrooge inquired. I should hope I do, replied the lad. An intelligent boy, said Scrooge. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they have sold the prized turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prized turkey, the great big one. What, the one as big as me, returned the boy. What a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my book. It's hanging there now, replied the boy. Is it, said Scrooge. Go and buy it. What? Exactly, explained the boy. No, no, said Scrooge. I am earnest. Go and buy it. Tell them to bring it here, that I might give them direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with it in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands and spitting with a laugh. What we give, we gain. Justin Welby introduces this topic in his book by asking us potentially to examine a typical attitude to money, which can be quite negative. We criticize the materialism of Christmas. We get a bit snooty about the amount of chocolate 
associated with Easter. There's a danger that we begin to have a negative understanding of money itself and come into a little bit of nimbiest puritism. Charles Dickens, in his Christmas Carol, talks of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future that change Scrooge completely. All those pleasantries to the boy out the window were in contrast to the rest of the book where he's not somebody you would particularly want to talk to. He ends up buying the biggest turkey for his poor clerk and spending Christmas with his nephew rather than alone. So this morning we're going to look at uh, three topics. Looking at God's generosity, secondly at God's economy, and finally at God's community. So looking first at God's generosity, I want to take you uh, backwards and forwards uh, to the events of Holy Week. Uh, On next Sunday, we begin to walk through uh, the events that led up to Jesus' crucifixion um, and resurrection on Easter Day. Um, So next Sunday, we we celebrate uh, as we walk around the parish with different uh, stations, uh, um, the triumphal entry of Jesus the King into Jerusalem, where the crowds were cheering him and there were palm branches raised. Um, and then on, on Monday, Thursday, uh, and Good Friday, we follow the, 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 the contrasting events um, of, of Jesus' trial, and then on Good Friday, his crucifixion and death. Hope appearing to be lost. So in John's Gospel, in our Gospel reading, we're introduced to two men at this time of tragedy. First, Joseph of Arimathea, That's not Joseph, Jesus' dad. This is somebody different who we're introduced to for the first time here in John's Gospel. And then also Nicodemus, who we have heard of before in John's Gospel. He was the Pharisee that came to visit Jesus at night uh, to inquire about Jesus' teaching um, and in secret visited him and was told that he must be born born again. These two people are in a hurry Uh, The next day is the Sabbath. Uh, The bodies need to come down from the cross and and be dealt with before the Sabbath. They ask for the body. uh, um, They they take the body. They they wrap it in in spices and in cloth. uh, And then they take a new tomb and they place it in the new tomb and they close the stone on it. What's the most generous gift you've ever been given? I don't mean the sort of answer you give somebody in a dog collar sitting at the front of church. Um, you know, I don't mean, oh, Christianity, freedom, life. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, what has somebody spent their hard-earned cash on to give you or given a sacrifice to give you this physical thing? What's the most generous or significant gift you've been given I'm going to do the scary coming from the platform and walk around the room. Anybody got any thoughts? Uh, uh, most generous gift you've been given? <laughs> Say that again. A Dyson vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you feel about being given the Dyson vacuum cleaner, Pete? Um, it, was, it was great. I never thought I'd be able to afford one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So given something that is so generous that you wouldn't normally have got for yourself, in a sense, yeah. Anybody else? The most generous gift you've been given. That's where everybody looks at the floor. There we are. Something at the back. 
take, sent you to China for free. A fantastic, yeah, an amazing experience. Anybody else? Oh, to the front. They're just making me run. That's what's happening. Yeah. Someone at the back. Um, I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about, does anyone here remember Abby Dam? Who, yes. She was given a, one of those really posh, like, kitchen mixer things. Uh, yes. And it was sort of prophetic because she went and launched her cake business yeah, from it. Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But could never have afforded yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, so suddenly part of Christchurch congregation, given the tools which she set up her business, um, a, a large proportion of the wedding cakes from our uh, marriages from Christchurch have been Abidan cakes. Uh, yeah. Mine was a pair of binoculars many years ago. I was brought up in Dover. So my bird watching interest hadn't developed then, but the interest in passing shipping had. <laughs> ah, excellent. <laughs> that was Fantastic. Binoculars to, to look at shipping. Fantastic. Um, I was trying to think what it might be for me. It's usually gifts that are surprise, I think. I think one of them actually was I, I broke my leg very badly here at Christchurch and spent a long time in hospital. Um, and the, the PCC and, and Graham and others uh, all chipped in and bought me an iPad, which was A, hugely generous, and B, totally unexpected. It was just that sort of sense of, what? <laughs> you know, you've done what? Uh, the generosity of a gift. This passage is quite familiar in some ways, um, and uh, its main point is clear uh, uh, about the, the events of Jesus' death. But there is um, an aspect to it that, that Justin brings out of his book that we sometimes miss. Nicodemus, we're told, brings 35 kilograms of myrrh and aloes. I don't know about you, but my spaces come in little pots like this, <laughs> uh, which is 22 grams. So 35 kilograms would be... Uh, as far as I can work out, 1,590 of these pots. 1,590 of these pots. This is Nicodemus, who had crept to see Jesus at night because he was a Pharisee, and he's worried about people finding out. Nicodemus bringing 35 kilograms of aloe. Nicodemus would need... um, (laughs) There's nothing subtle about Nicodemus bringing that. Nicodemus was going to need was going to need a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Note the sponsorship. Um, uh, to, <laughs> to, to bring 35 kilograms um, of spice and aloe. I'm open to other sponsorship of sermons, if anybody's interested. <laughs> That 35 kilograms was 100 times more expensive than what Mary, the woman who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, was criticized for, for being extravagant before Jesus died. This was a hugely extravagant way of honoring Jesus after his death. This sort of quantity would be reserved for kings. We sometimes miss about the tomb as well, because we think of burials as, as a cremation or, or, or as a grave. Um, the, the, the tomb would have, was, we're told is new. So this is somebody giving uh, Jesus their tomb. Um, and tombs would have been literally carved out of the rock, so that's, that's a very expensive thing to do. They'd have had two ledges on them, and they'd almost be like a... a, 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 a 
a, a processing room for, for people who have died. So the reason why you wrap them in, cover them in spices and wrap them in cloth is you leave the body on a shelf on this side um, uh, to, to, to break down and, and naturally can become bones. Um, but you're going to reuse the tomb with the shelf on this side while that body is still composing for the next person. And then when that, that person is broken down, you scoop up the bones and you put them in a bone jar and you put it at the back of the tomb and then the next person goes there. So actually, what, what, what they're giving away is, is, is the whole way that a family through the generations would, would, would honour their dead and, and place their dead. So again, this was a hugely extravagant gift. God is abundantly generous And we get a tiny picture of that in the honoring of Jesus after his death by Nicodemus and by Joseph. God is abundantly generous to all of us through the death of his son to bring forgiveness to those who would accept it from him without strings, without things that get in the way, without having to pass any test. Just forgiveness, if you will come to him. God is generous in his grace that he adopts you into his family, literally becoming a child of God. He clothes you, the Bible says, in righteousness so that when we stuff it up each morning, we are presented uh, as a new clothed in righteousness child of God through his forgiveness this is our extravagantly generous God shown in some of the acts of Joseph and Nicodemus secondly then God's economy In uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to uh, the somewhat unruly church in Corinth uh, to try and calm them down a bit uh, and correct their ways, a church that was very rich um, but also quite uh, unruly. And he writes and gives the example of the church in Philippi in Macedonia uh, to this rich, unruly church in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I was on a course on Friday, um, which I chose to go on, on equality and diversity. Uh, A lot of it was about subconscious bias i.e. things that um, our sort of brain has learnt that affects our actions that we're not really aware of, um, which was very interesting. And I think there's something of that in the way that we treat money that we inherit from um, our 
uh, economy and our society and our, our sort of family and upbringing, in a sense, um, that we need to, to draw a line and understand that the, the God's understanding of economy, of money, of generosity, of giving is very different from societies and that we need to be different. Who's about my size? Eli, you're about my size. Um, can I give you my... Uh, my uh, I can't get out of it now. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I... I'd just quite like to give you that, actually. You look a bit cool there. Is that right? Are you happy to accept that? Is that okay? Yeah, that's, that's kind. Thank you. Um, I did notice you came in with a very nice leather jacket there, exactly. Um, can, I, can I just relieve you of that? For a thank you very much. Thank you. That's, that's very good. Thank you. Because, uh, uh, you know, I've given you something, and then... Uh, uh, I just had my eye on that as he walked in, really. Because you know, I've not really had a leather jacket before. And it's, it's just... That's the way our economy works. It's about exchange, but it's about exchange and making decisions for the maximum personal benefit of you. If you're, a company, if you're in a company that out to make exchanges that make you profits, if you're an employee, you're out to give your time and your skills in order to get a wage and a salary. If perhaps you host a lot of dinner parties or feed a lot of people in church, do you deep down get a bit annoyed if you never get invited back or given stuff yourself? If you give people time and, and work uh, to, to help somebody, does it slightly irk you? You start to think, well, they're just always taking. Perhaps I won't spend as much time with them again. Do we or have we inherited that sense of, if I give something, I might be appearing to be very generous. But actually, deep down, if I'm honest with me, myself, I do sort of expect something in return. Joseph and Nicodemus gave extravagantly to a situation that they could not hope to take advantage from. In fact, in Nicodemus's case, quite the opposite. He'd previously gone under the cover of darkness. Here, he's taken his metaphorical wheelbarrow of spices. He's doing something very public um, as, a, as a Jewish uh, council leader in honoring this criminal on the cross. God's economy is about grace. It's about generosity without expectation of repayment. Let's be clear what it's not. It is about giving from, what you, from the means that you have. It is not about the amount of money you can give. It is very definite in that letter from the uh, uh, Corinthians that that church that was very poor gave within its means, in a sense, or even beyond it, but, 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 but proportionally to what you have been given. But however much financial or ability you have to give, it is about the decision to give. It is about the manner in which you give in a spirit of grace 
in which you give without expectation of receiving back. One of my uh, significant periods of my life was um, taking the decision to go and train for ordination. I did it quite later, later on than some. I, I'd already got a career and a, a house and a company car and all the trappings that come with uh, um, you know, starting off on a, on a career. Um, and uh, I literally, in, in some cases, gave um, a lot of that up to spend three years back in a student room with no car, um, with only the things that I could squeeze into the student room um, and spent three years there. Now, that's not a great sacrifice, and you know, I've been very blessed by God's sense. I'm not making a big thing about that. But, but for me personally, um, it, it changed something in my attitude to possessions. Because when I came out, I thought, well, you know, there's boxes I, I didn't really need. Um, uh, I didn't really need a lot of the stuff around me. Um, and I wanted um, to, to actually share what I have, in a sense, um, and it just something clicked in me that changed my understanding of things, if you see what I mean, the things and how they can benefit other people. I think dethroning mammon, which is a topic we're looking at, um, is not about how much you have, uh, but developing the habit of giving. We ask as a church, uh, if you uh, want to be a full member of Christ Church, for you to consider um, giving to the, to the vision of this church. Uh, our vision is seeing lives restored in a renewed space uh, as we have fun together. And we talk about that uh, once a year in our giving service. Um, what we ask for students is uh, that you would consider, even though we understand that you're doing it by loans and things, that you consider giving us the price of a cup of coffee or a pint of beer a week. Um, because what we are asking is that for, for those who have got a lot or those who have got a li- little, that you consider developing the habit of giving. Because uh, I know in my own experience, in, in, and I'm not holding myself up as a shiny example at all, but, but in, in, in times when I've had nothing, uh, giving a little uh, allows you uh, at times where I've been, been blessed with, with a, a more uh, a salary and wealth uh, to be able to continue to give in proportion to what I've got. And it's developing those habits of giving and generosity, uh, which I think is what God is asking us to do as Christians. So what does this mean for a God-centered economy? What does this extravagant generosity mean for you? And do we need to rethink some of our attitudes when we get grumpy because we feel we've given loads and not received enough back? Finally then, and briefly, what might it mean for our God-centered community? Justin uh, Welby concludes his book by uh, giving us a bit of a petra, urging us really uh, by saying these words, uh, not to be ashamed um, of Uh, spending money on each other. Not to be ashamed of spending money uh, on those that we love and not to be ashamed um, of spending money on those whom we don't know uh, as we give generously around. The lessons of Charles Dickens are based on these sort of Christian principles um, that as we give, we gain. We don't gain financially, but we gain much more than we uh, uh, gain um, uh, through giving. 
uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, describes um, the, the preciousness of the kingdom of God for which we receive. It's like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when you found one of great value, he, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought it. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when you found one of great value, went away and sold everything to buy it. And we go to these uh, leadership conferences once a year with our interns and as a ministry team uh, by Willow Creek. And one year they had um, uh, Belinda Gates, uh, so Bill Gates' uh, uh, wife, uh, um, uh, as one of the speakers, uh, um, not physically in front of us on a, on a video screen on the wall, but you know, she, was, she was speaking at a conference that was then video linked. Um, so Bill and Melinda Gates are, well, if not the richest people in the world, sort of up there as one of the most richest people in the world. And they set up the, the Bill Gates Foundation, um, which is basically the means at which they are seeking to um, eradicate malaria and many uh, uh, um, diseases uh, in Africa. And they are also um, one of the, the greatest uh, benefactors, people who just give generously from the, for the money they have received. And what really, what really struck me about it was not how much they were giving, which is you know, unbelievable and is making world change, um, but their attitude to it. So, so Belinda, she, they're not sitting in some five-star hotel somewhere uh, um, you know, and, 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 and just having people come to them and say, we need this. Um, it has come out of them spending actual time uh, living in African villages with their children, <laughs> uh, um, listening and, and, being, and being alongside people, um, which has directed how they are then setting up uh, um, their foundation for some of the main things that they were doing. Uh, um, I was just impressed with that sense of um, their... They're called to make a difference, really, in that um, generosity coming out of real relationships with people. We have the power to dethrone mammon in our own lives, in this church, and as we influence things around the world. We have the power to experience God's generosity to us and in turn speak to the world through our actions of a different way of a doing economy without expectation of mutual return. Building God's kingdom of generosity even to a stranger in the world. We can do this because we have the most precious gift that we could ever receive, the precious pearl that the merchant sold everything to receive, because we have received the offer through grace of forgiveness and being adopted as children into God's family. And because of this, what we give, we gain immeasurably more.